Hare Krishna, everyone. A, a very warm welcome back to our ongoing series on the glories of our most beloved Sri Vrindavan Dham. Nama Om Vishnupadaya Krishna Pashtaya Bhutale Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swamaniti Namane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Pastacha Deshatarane. All glories to Sridhar Pawapad, the revealer of the Dham. <coughs> so, Today we are uh, continuing with our mini-series on stimulation for ecstatic love based on Sridhar Prabhupada's Nectar of Devotion, again, uh, chapter 26. <coughs> and this will be part 8. We have been discussing different articles or paraphernalia of Krishna uh, upon seeing or hearing about or even simply touching, I was reading, help to awaken love for the Lord within the heart of a devotee. We gave the example in one of our first lectures in the series of a mother who, upon being separated from her small daughter, immediately remembers her upon seeing her daughter's little shoe somewhere. A transcendental example is kindly given by Srila Rupa Goswami uh, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, wherein he writes, quote, in the Kaishora age, beginning from the 11th year and continuing up to the end of the 15th year, Krishna's arms, legs, and thighs become marked with three divisional lines. At that time, Krishna's chest challenged a hill of Marakata jewels. His arms challenged pillars of Indranila jewels. The three lines of his waist challenged the waves of the river Jamuna and his thighs challenged beautiful bananas. When Gopi said, with all these exquisite features of his body, Krishna is too extraordinarily beautiful, and therefore I am always thinking of him to protect me, because he is the killer of all demons. <laughs> so here I would like to mention again, as I have many times, how indebted we are to both uh, Srila Rupa Goswami and Srila Prabhupada for giving us uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and um, Nectar of Devotion, respectively. <coughs> Sri Bhana Das <laughs> writes in his work Kadambari in uh, the Mangala Charna to that book, uh, verse 7. He writes, <coughs> it's really nice, find literature is not appreciated by a wicked mortal. Much like nectar does not go down Rahu's throat. Whereas such literature is treasured in the heart of a good soul. Much like Hari's chest bears the splendid Kastuba jewel. <laughs> now, Bhana, actually his full name was Bhanabhata. He was a, um, a seventh century Sanskrit uh, prose writer and a poet. And his works are well-read and famous even today. In fact, uh, many, I was reading many scholars describe him as Banochistam Jagatsarvam. A nice title. Banochistam Jagatsarvam. It means uh, Bana has described everything in this world and nothing is left. And we told it all. <coughs> so, in previous classes, we discussed how blankets 
are very much involved in Krishna's pastimes and thus help to stimulate our love for Krishna. There's a saying that the Lord accepts ordinary things and makes them extraordinary. An example is given. He accepts uh, the, the, the feather of a peacock, which is you know, commonly found on the ground here in Vrindavan, and he takes it and places it on his forehead. Or he holds a flute of bamboo, which you know, grows in the forest. Similarly, the Acharyas say that he accepts even the simplest of people who approach him for service and trans transforms them into transcendental devotees who uh, themselves become capable of fulfilling other, others' spiritual desires, just like a Kalpa Viksha tree. So the articles we mentioned, like you know, the peacock feather and the, and the, the bamboo flute, are, are simple objects, but they are divine, being related to the Lord. And the same is true with the Lord's blanket. <laughs> this we have been discussing uh, for two lectures now. But my dear Prabhus, we're not finished. Today we will discuss more about Krishna's <coughs> precious blanket in the hopes that, again, such a discussion will help awaken love for Krishna. And that love is already there. It's, it's hidden within our hearts. Uh, that's described uh, by Kaviraj Goswami <coughs> in Chaitanya Charitamrita <coughs> Madhya Lila, uh, chapter 22, verse 107, very uh, famous verse. Nitya Siddha Krishna Prema Sadya Kabu Nai Shravanade Shudachite Kariye Udhai. Quote, Pure love for Krishna is eternally established in the hearts of living entities. <clears throat> it is not something to be gained from another source. When the heart is purified by hearing and chanting, this love naturally awakens. So that's what we're doing here. <laughs> we're hearing and chanting. <clears throat> now, uh, the poet Surdas reveals his sentiments about Krishna's blanket in one of his poems that he really dedicates to Sri Radha. He really dedicates, you'll see, he really dedicates this, this poem to Sri Radha. He writes, O friend, look, Sri Radha is the daughter of King Bhishabhanu, and her lover is a simple coward boy. Sri Radha sits on the throne, and her beloved sits on the stem of a tree. Shirada wears a golden shawl, and Krishna wears a dark blanket. <laughs> Surdas says, O oh friend, there is no good quality in your Krishna. It's only because of the loving glances of our queen Radha that everyone treats him with respect. Hare Krishna. <clears throat> so therein we hear how Krishna wore, or eternally wears, a dark blanket. It's interesting to note that uh, now, he here in Vrindavan, I often see deities, uh, like uh, yesterday I, I was at the Radha Raman temple, uh, a couple of weeks ago I was at uh, Radha Balava temple, and both times those deities were wearing dark colored blankets, because it's winter here now. And when I looked more into the matter, I discovered that such blankets that they 
offered to the Lord are made fragrant before offering uh, with perfumed oils and are placed uh, near coal heaters to warm them before being offered to the Lord and placed on his body. <coughs> Such a blanket is called balaposh, B-A-L-A-P-O-S-H, balaposh. And furthermore, the, the blanket, um, it's described uh, in Shastra that it's <coughs> light like a feather, warm like a mother's lap, fragrant like flowers, and soft like the tender touch of a newborn baby. <laughs> the blanket, the deities wear the blanket. Light like a feather, <coughs> warm like a mother's lap, fragrant like flowers, and soft like the tender touch of a newborn baby. It's deity worship. <coughs> a side note, is that the sadhus here in, in Braj, they wear blankets called loe. Loe, L-O-I. It's also a dark colored uh, blanket. It's, it's dark colored, it's like very heavy, uh, heavy wool. And centuries ago, these type of blankets were um, worn by the Brajabhasis, like everyone would wear them in those days. And they were sold in a particular marketplace. So much so that that marketplace became known as Loy Bazaar. <laughs> and most Iskan devotees are well aware of Loy Bazaar these days, which uh, it, that bazaar specializes in many devotional items. Everyone, <laughs> Iskan devotees, they come from the West and they go to Loy Bazaar to buy dhotis and chowders and saris, etc. In my research for this lecture, I discovered that an old tradition in Braj was that if a king or a highly esteemed person would visit a temple in Vrindavan for darshan, the pujari would offer him uh, the maha garland of the deities, maha prashad from the deities, and in special occasions also a blanket or the blanket that the Lord was wearing around his shoulder or around his neck. Now in present day, the culture of giving a maha garland and maha prashad is still there, but giving a blanket to esteemed persons has now changed to offering like a small scarf. You know, they have some scarves nearby and they touch it to the feet of the deity and they give it to the esteemed person. Just so something like this, about that big, not, not very big. So times have changed. So now, I'd like to share um, another of Krishna's pastimes that involved his precious dark blanket. This pastime is related by the great devotee Srila Narahari Chakravarti Thakur. Srila Narahari Chakravarti Thakur. In his famous book, Bhakti Ratnakara. It's in the fifth wave uh, in a section entitled Mathur Mandala Purikama. Actually, for my lectures, I get a lot of leelas <laughs> from that book, from that section. So you could say this pastime is uh, one version of the famous pastime of Krishna becoming a boatman 
and taking Sri Radha and her gopi friends on a boat ride on the Manasi Ganga Lake, which we know is uh, at, at Govardhan Hill. It's one version, just like in the Don Kali, the pastimes where Krishna, you know, taxes the gopis here and there, different times, different places. In Vrindavan, there's slightly different versions. So this is a very nice version of this particular pastime. Now, Manasi Ganga, the history of that sacred lake is very interesting. Once, upon hearing the glories of Mother Ganges, Nanda Maharaj, Mother Yasoda, and so many other gopas and gopis, they took Krishna on a journey to the Himalayan mountains to take bath, because they heard how auspicious it was to take bath in the Ganga. On the way, they rested for a little while, and at that point, Krishna questioned the need for all of them to travel so far, telling them that, and this is one of my favorite statements, we have favorite verses, this is a famous, famous statement, all holy places reside in Braj. All holy places reside in Braj. This is one of the beautiful features of Vrindavan. Uh, whatever holy places we see in India and throughout the universe and throughout the cosmos, you can find the original place here in Vrindavan. So at this particular point, you know, Krishna stopped everybody and said, um, well, first of all, he, 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 he thought of Ganga Devi. And at once, just by thinking of, of Ganga Devi, uh, her strong current brought her to that spot where he was standing. And at the head of this current was Ganga Devi herself, as we know, she's, she, she, she rides an alligator, so she was mounted on an alligator. And this darshan of, of Ganga astonished Nanda and Jashoda and all the gopis and, and gopas. So at that point, Krishna said, My dear friends, all holy places exist in Braj. You want to take bath in the Ganga? So Ganga Devi has personally appeared before you here today in Vrindavan. Please bathe in her waters without delay. So it appears they weren't very far. They're just on the frontier of Vrindavan. Krishna didn't want to leave Vrindavan. <laughs> so Ganga came. So in this way, Manasi Ganga appeared in Vrindavan. And we see her when we go on uh, Govardhan Parikama, like halfway. Halfway, she's right there ha halfway. That's where the Haridev temple is, actually. So she's called Manasi Ganga because she appeared from the mind or the thoughts of Krishna. Manasi means mind. So some here in Vrindavan, some address her as a river, while others address her as a lake. <coughs> now, the currents of Manasi Ganga, I was reading, they flow so swiftly through Govardhan Hill that its powerful waves, or her powerful waves, uh, move even the boulders that line uh, its shores, her shores. So a boatman must be very expert in plying his boat across the lake, especially in the rainy season when thunderstorms, thunderstorms often appear. Not an easy thing when the wind comes up and the waves are there 
for boatmen to cross Manasi Ganga, it's, uh, it's a real challenge. Her waves were so powerful, they, they moved boulders of Govardhan Hill. So one day, Radharani and her gopis were carrying pots uh, full of different milk preparations to offer to one of their favorite deities, Hare Dev, we told that pastime. But it happened to be uh, on the opposite, he happened to be that day on the opposite side of Manasi Ganga. So they were thinking they would take a boat. But when they arrived on the banks of the lake, <coughs> they were disappointed to find there were no boats at the dock. <coughs> Actually, there was one old, very rickety boat at the far end of the dock. But there was no boatman in sight. Just the boat was there. All they actually saw was a large, uh, like you could say, crump, crumpled up blanket, you know, in, in one corner of the deck. So disappointed, the, the gopis were just about to return home when they heard this low, like, moaning sound coming from the old boat, like it's described as if someone was stirring from a deep slumber. So Sri Radha ordered one of her maidservants. She said to her, Dear one, find out where that noise is coming from. So that Brajagopi, very dutifully, she walked down the landing, stepped onto that old rickety boat, and very cautiously approached the blanket. Then from beneath the blanket came what sounded like um, heavy breathing. So the gopi hesitated for a moment, and she looked back towards Sri Radha, who encouraged her with the movement of her hand. So that young gopi took courage and pulled back that old, dusty blanket. And there, lo and behold, <laughs> lying on the boat's deck was a young boatman, who, from the sound of his snoring, <laughs> appeared to be in a deep sleep. So this gopi, she turned back to uh, her, her friends and, and Sri Radha and she said in a loud whisper, it looks like a boatman, but he's asleep. So hearing this, Sri Radha herself walked down the pier and she stood uh, directly, directly over the boat. Then Sri Radha, she cleared her voice and she called out, loudly, Boatman! Boatman! But he didn't seem to hear. <laughs> so she called out again, but this time louder, and it's described very beautifully, accompanied by a chorus of her amused girlfriends. Accompanied by a chorus of her amused girlfriends. So finally, the boatman, you know, he stirred a little bit and and he like turned over and then he, he sat up rub, rubbing his eyes. And they could see that he was a young man. He was dressed in you know, simple clothes. He had a dhoti and like a sash and he was actually wearing a, a cloak with his hair tucked under a well-worn turban. 
But Sri, Sri Radha noticed immediately that uh, he must have been new, you can say new to his profession, because his hands and feet looked very soft and they had no calluses. What kind of boatman is that? Is rowing all day, has no calluses. So she noticed this. So the boatman, you know, he pulled his blanket off and he sat up and he called out, It's been a long day and I'm resting. Please get yourself another boat. If you're looking for a boat, it's not going to be this boat. Or you come back tomorrow. And with that, he laid back down. <laughs> and he pulled the, his blanket back over him. So at that point, Shirada signaled um, her maidservant to pull the blanket away. Now, Lalita Devi, who's always there to serve Shirada, Lita's her favorite gopi, and Lita gets angry sometimes when Krishna meets, mistreats Radha. Lita, who was nearby, said, Hey, wake up, boatman. The queen of Vrindavan wants to cross the river to worship Haridev. Do not delay. Take your oar and ferry us to the far shore. You will be handsomely rewarded, not to mention the fact that you will have the privilege to serve the most chaste and pious girl of Braj. Of course, meaning Shirada. So the boatman, you know, he, he, he finally sat up again, and after much discussion, it's described, he reached an agreement with Lalita that his payment for transporting the gopis would be what? The remnants of Haridev's uh, the prasad they served him, the milk products. As payment, he would get yogurt and butter and kheer and, you know, everything they had in their pots. But as the gopis began to board the boat, the boatmen started ins insisting that it would be safer if they went in two trips. In other words, he took one group of gopis over, came back and took another group of gopis over because he felt the, the boat was a little small for everybody. But Shirada would hear nothing of it, because she doesn't want to be separated from her gopis, and they don't want to be separated from her. So the boatman pushed off from the shore, and they noticed that while he was pushing off from the shore, he was smiling, and he was singing a, a song about boating on a lake, with one's sweetheart? <laughs> they're, like, they're looking at him. He's singing a, a song about boating on a lake with one's sweetheart. So everything went well, you know, for some time. They were making good time across the lake. But about uh, a, a third of the way, the boatman stopped rowing. He tilted his turban back on his head and he sat down looking out at the river. So all the, all the gopis, they were surprised. They're all looking at one another like, what's happening? So Shirada asked one of the gopis to ask the boatman the following. Oh, boatman, why have you stopped? To which came the reply from the boatman, uh, Dear Bhajagopi, 
I'm tired and hungry. You all woke me up after a hard day's work, but before I could have my supper, <laughs> you told me to leave. Plus, you have filled this boat to twice its capacity, and you insisted that I race to the other side. Neither could I have my supper, and neither did you follow my advice that you know we shouldn't all pile in this boat. Now, without eating, I cannot exert myself any further. So at first the gopis, they tried to convince the boatman to continue rowing. Then they actually threatened him. But apparently neither tactic worked. So they gave up and they, it's described, um, they gave him access to their pots. That's how it's described. The author, access to their pots. But he shocked them when he devoured everything in the pots. And then he declared, oh, following such a feast, I must take a short nap. Then, stretching himself out on the floor of the boat, he again covered himself with his blanket <laughs> and said, if two of you girls massage my feet and another two my arms, I should resume my rowing much sooner. I could do it much sooner. So then the Lita, she threatened, Boatman, unless you start to row right now, we will hold you by your hands and feet and toss you overboard into the lake. Now get up! So with that, the boatman, you know, reluctantly, resumed his service. Not so reluctantly, we, we understand, but he appeared to be reluctant, resuming his service. And not a moment too soon, I was reading, for storm clouds began, uh, how would you say, gathering overhead. And before long, it's, it said a strong wind appeared, like gale force, hurricane wind, along with thunder and lightning causing the lake, the water in the lake, to rise. And soon water began to seep into the boat. So shaking his head, the boatman called out over that strong wind, See, girls, I warned you. I warned all of you together. would be too heavy a load for this boat. See what's happening? Now look, because it's so heavy and the waves are so strong, my boat is taking on water. So unless you lighten the load here by disposing some precious weight overboard, surely we will sink. So cursing their fate, the gopis had no other choice than to throw their pots overboard. Now, let me tell you that these pots were pure gold. <laughs> so they're precious and they're heavy. So they had to throw their golden pots overboard. But even as these um, Brajagopis watched their precious pots disappear into the depths of the river, the boatman called out again, saying, Ladies, the boat is still taking on water. Now you have to discard your heavy jewelry. Because gopis were wearing bangles and earrings and nose rings and all sorts of necklaces, you know, fine jewelry, heavy. 
But the girls, they answered in a chorus, again saying, never, never. <laughs> but I was reading as their, how would you say, their skirt hems started to uh, soak up the rising water. They reluctantly tossed their necklaces, and bracelets, and nose rings, and everything into the lake's uh, swelling waves, it's described. But the water in the boat kept rising. So the boatmen said, Ladies, the only way we can keep this boat from sinking is if you bail out the water yourselves. If you bail out the water yourselves. To which the gopis answered very angrily, We could have done that with the pots. You made us throw overboard. We could have done it, but you made us throw the pots overboard. So now what? And then, uh, as the strong winds continued, you know, whipping the how would I say the lake into a fury, the gopis just sat there, drenched in water, up to their waists, up to their waists. Critical scene here, all Purnamasi's <laughs> Yogamaya's arrangement. So at this point. It's described Sri Radha began feeling extremely guilty at risking her girlfriend's lives. But the author says, not to mention being distressed at the thought of never seeing Krishna again. We should also think like that. Not to mention being distressed at the thought of never seeing Krishna again. So having no other recourse, Sri Radha, she, she stood up and she raised her arms and she called out to the boatman, Boatman, please save us. And she just threw her arms around him like in desperation. Save us. She threw her arms around him. Now it's described at that instant, a flash of lightning struck her. When I read that, I couldn't, like, what? As soon as she embraced the boatman, a flash of lightning struck her. But, Prabhu's, the lightning flash didn't come from the clouds above. Rather, it came from the body of the boatman, who, pleasantly surprised, pulled Shirada even closer to him. Now, the effect of the boatman's touch at once revealed his real identity to Shirada. She knew who this was. But the gopis, who had never seen Shirada even so much as look at another man other than Krishna, they were shocked. They were shocked. And they cried out over this um, howling wind. Altogether, another chorus. Lord Shiva, save us. Just as we were about to sink to our watery graves in this lake, chaste Shirada tosses us into an ocean of embarrassment. Shirada tosses us into an ocean of embarrassment by embracing a low-born boatman. So rather than, you know, saying something, explaining everything to defend herself, Shirada reached behind the boatman and from his cloak pulled out, what? A bamboo flute much like a magician could pull a rabbit out of a hat. And as Radha held up this famous flute, this venu, 
<laughs> the thunder and lightning stopped. The winds died down. The clouds dispersed. The waters receded. And the gopis' faces lit up with smiles. Oh, they cried, it's him. It's Krishna. Oh, they cried, it's him. <laughs> then Krishna is described as pleased with himself as an actor receiving a standing ovation, bowed his head towards the gopis and pulled Sri Radha even closer as she struggled to get free from his grasp. The author says, the gopis were terribly frightened by this ordeal and they were still drenched from head to toe. But seeing Krishna standing before them made all the torment worthwhile. That's the word he used. All the torment worthwhile. Now our author, Srila Narhari Chakravati Thakur, he says, and I'll quote him here, they were, they were, after all, loving puppets in the hands of the supreme puppet master who pulls strings of love at will, uniting him and his eternal companions upon the stage of his Brajalila. I'll recite it again. They were, after all, loving puppets in the hands of the supreme puppet master who pulls strings of love at will, uniting him and his eternal companions upon the stage of his Brajalila. Then it's described that, uh, or then he describes that beneath a silver, silvery moon, silvery moon, Krishna steered the boat towards the nearest island, where he and the gopis uh, changed into dry clothes, while joking about the highlights of their adventure. <laughs> and then once again they uh, they boarded the boat, which had, like Krishna, listen to this cast off its disguise to reveal a golden, jewel-studded luxury craft. The boat had cast off its disguise to reveal a golden, jewel-studded luxury craft, equipped with, um, equipped with all necessary things to serve the divine couple, Radesham. Then as uh, Radha and Krishna reclined on a comfortable couch, uh, some gopis sang, Others, uh, they, 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 they play musical instruments, and a few others uh, steered the boat. <laughs> they steered the boat through the calm, lotus-filled waters of Manasi Ganga. Hare Krishna. Pure nectar. Sri Bhajubhumi Sri Vrindavan Dham Ki. Let us never forget that is the goal of all our practices in Krishna consciousness. So Prabhus, this concludes our lectures on uh, Lord Krishna's blanket as a means to awaken our love for him and his divine consort, Srimati Radharani. Next week we'll be speaking on sandalwood. Hmm. So many articles in Vrindavan can bring forth that loving mood. So while going to research, I, f I found a few things and about sandalwood and we'll discuss um, the use of sandalwood in the pastimes of Radha and Krishna as another stimulus for awakening uh, ecstatic love. Now in, in preparation for that 
I mean like the mood that will accompany the, those, that mini-series. We'll conclude today with a verse from Hari Bhakti Vilas. 11th Vilas, text uh, 25 to 31. This will prepare us. Quote, One should meditate on Krishna as he sits on a lotus throne in a very relaxed manner. The throne is placed in the shade of a desire tree that is situated on a beautiful river bank and surrounded by lakes filled with lotuses and water lilies. The river bank is situated at the foot of a golden mountain that is decorated with various minerals, chirping birds and wish-fulfilling trees. Lord Krishna is decorated with a pearl necklace and a flower garland. The throne is covered with gold and bedecked with jewels and covered by a colorful canopy. After fixing one's mind on the Lord in this manner, a devotee should worship him with offerings of jati flowers. Jati flowers. Then one should offer food to the Lord and his cowherd boyfriends on silver plates. In this way, self-controlled devotees should meditate on Lord Krishna as he is comfortably seated along with all his cowherd friends. Beautiful meditation to prepare us for next Friday. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, a, a, a goodbye from Sri Vrindavan Dham and um, we'll look forward to seeing you in a week's time. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Shishi Gornitai ki, Shishi Krishna Balaram ki, Shishi Radhashama Sundar ki, Brindavaneshwari, Shimati Radharani ki, Mayapur Dham ki, Shishi Gornitai ki, Shri Krishna Sankirtan Yagya ki, Nitai Gaur Pimanandi, JJ Sisi Radhe, Sharm, Glorious to Prabhupada, Hare Krishna.